turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Know this, God has no desire to put a band-aid on our problems. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. I entitled this message, The Grip of Fear. So let me ask you this today. Are you afraid of anything? Now, according to the dictionary, to be afraid is to have an intense feeling of fear. It's to be frightened. It can blind us. It can cause us to be timid. It can cause us to be apprehensive. Maybe you fear being alone in the dark or hearing a noise in the middle of the night. And that gives you just the heebie-jeebies. Yes, we can all be frightened at times. Or maybe you can find yourself subject to certain phobias. Now, a phobia is defined as irrational and an excessive, a persistent fear of a particular thing or situation. If you're not sure if you have any phobias, well, consider these. There's atomophobia. That's the fear of atomic explosions. I'm pretty sure I have this one myself, okay, because I've never met an atomic explosion that I've ever liked, okay, just saying. And then there are those really strange and bizarre phobias, like ablutophobia, that's the fear of bathing. I hope none of us here have that phobia, okay. Then there's the worst phobia of all, that's panonophobia, and that's the fear of everything. You're just a fear of everything. Well, most people have a fear of something. Even Jesus' own disciples. They're recorded as having phasmophobia. And that's the fear of ghosts. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. As you remember from our last time in John chapter 6, Jesus had fed 5,000. Now, That was 5,000 men only, wasn't counting the wives and the children. So we could have had at least 15 or 20,000 people here. And we're told that he fed it with a young boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. That all happened when the disciples, as you remember, were trying to get away from the crowds. Jesus said, let's go to the other side and be alone for some time. Yes, the disciples needed much needed rest, you could say. They had been running 24-7. But the little time that they had set aside to get away, it never happened. It ended up being a long, exhausting day of ministry because when they landed the boat, everyone saw Jesus. They all grabbed around and just everything went out of control. Well, with all of that in mind as a backdrop, let's look at our first point, 
the darkness of fear. As we read together, starting where we left off last time in John chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 16. It says, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. This is after they fed these 20,000 people. It's late that night now. They went down to the Sea of Galilee, verse 17. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up. And because of a strong wind was blowing, verse 19. And when therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. Well, we'll stop there. Now, notice we have all the elements here of a scary scenario building up. First, it was dark. And then the sea was stirred up with a strong wind blowing. The wind was full of noise as the boat was being tossed to and fro. Now, could you imagine how creepy this must have been in the middle of the night? And let us not forget that the disciples were already exhausted. It was another busy day. Again, thousands of people pressing in to see Jesus. Now they find themselves rowing for miles, yet they're not getting anywhere. You know, it says that they rode for three or four miles. That should have been enough to get them to where they were going. But the wind was pushing them farther south on the Sea of Galilee. Now, they can't see the land. Not sure where they are. Plus, they're completely spent. Again, it's pitch dark. And the wind is making spooky noises. That's why at the end of verse 19, it says, They were frightened. That word in the original Greek language means that they were literally terrified. I mean, their knees were shaking. They see Jesus walking, but they don't know it's him. Yet I'm not sure we can get the full impact here without a few more details that John left out on his account of this event. So let's turn over to the gospel of Mark chapter 6 to see what he had to say about the exact same event. Remember, the disciples picked up all the leftovers of feeding the 5,000. That's when Jesus instructed them to get into the boat. Now let's read Mark's account of this same event, starting in Mark chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 45. It says, And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, the Lord's watching them, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. And he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him, and they were frightened. 
But immediately Jesus spoke with them and he said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. See, there's a a tremendous more details here. You're thinking, well, how did Mark have more details than John? Well, we have to remember that every day with Jesus, there was crazy stuff happening everywhere. And so imagine this, 365 days out of the year, crazy stuff, crazy stuff, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Okay, so when afterwards they're writing all this stuff down and and, and taking record of all these things and writing these letters, it's like, oh my goodness, they're thinking back. But I mean, there was 10 things that were happening that day. So I'm only giving this many details on this and this many details on that. So it's easy for them to leave out some details that maybe another one of them picked up. So it's pretty obvious. But this definitely adds to our story here that we're looking at today. And it's much needed details. Now, notice after they picked up all the leftovers from feeding the multitudes, which we saw last time to be what? It was 12 full baskets of leftovers. And that, of course, was a detail of great encouragement to you and to me. It tells us that when God provides for us, he provides more than what we need. That he provides abundantly. Always, always, always more. I'm not sure what your plight and your position is here today. I don't know if any of your personal circumstances, I don't know where they're at. But we need to understand without any hesitation, as we continue to seek after and cling to the promises of God in our own personal difficulties, that our God will always meet and he will always exceed our needs. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God shall supply all of of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, God never runs out of provision. It's never like, oh, gee, it's not like our parents. Hey, Dad, you got like a dollar for the ice cream truck? Uh, no. Okay, it's not like that. I mean, whenever we go to him, he always has the ability to meet whatever the need might be, no matter how big the need is. Because for some of you, your biggest need right now might be, oh, geez, I'm 500 bucks short of my rent. Oh, my goodness, 500 bucks. And then to the other person, it might be, man, I am like $10,000 in debt. I don't know what I'm going to do. To another person, it might be, man, I'm $75,000 in debt. Are any of those numbers that they even, they're out of your arena, but are they out of God's arena? Nothing is out of God's arena. The Bible says he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and silver. You might be wearing it on your finger, on your ears, or around your neck, but God actually owns it. It was his before it was yours. And so he owns everything. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is out of his ability to meet. But getting back here to the disciples, Jesus made them get into the boat while he sent the multitudes away. Now, as you remember, the disciples wanted Jesus to send them away in the first place before he fed them. Hey, don't you remember, Lord? This is our little vacation. This is our little weekend to get away to get some R&R because they were tired. But Jesus waited to send everybody away until after he miraculously fed them and met their needs. Yet what was supposed to be this nice little ride to the other side, as he told them, we'll get in the boat and go to the other side, and we'll try to catch up on some R&R over there. 
It turned out to be another nightmare as the disciples are now stuck in the middle of a storm, surrounded by the darkness of night with the wind whipping. They're being tossed around like a rubber duck in a blender right now. Yet all the while, verse 46 says, Jesus is on the mountain praying. Maybe they should have taken a little tip from the Lord. They should have started praying hours ago. They should have surrendered their circumstances to his power and to his majesty. They should have surrendered to him. They needed to separate themselves from the treachery of the storm to embrace the security of the very one who held the very storm that they're having a problem with in his own hand. But that's not what they did. For the fear of the storm has now blinded them. And they can't even see where they're at. They don't know what's happening. They don't know where the Lord is. So they continued to fight the storm in their own strength for hours. Don't you hate when you're fighting in your own strength? Because our own strength is limited. So they're fighting and they're fighting. And the Lord's just like letting them fight. The Bible says that the Lord saw them out there. Well, how could he see them? It's pitch black. He can't see anything. It's the Lord. And he sees everything. And we struggle so many times. And we fight so many things. And we just fight and fight and fight. Aren't you wore out yet? Know this. These men are seasoned fishermen. Yet, they're not getting anywhere in their boat. These guys were raised on the water, and they can't fight their way out of this storm. Notice Mark 6.48 says, Jesus saw them straining at the oars. Again, Jesus sees everything. He knows our plight. He sees our weaknesses. And if you find yourself, you know, between a rock and a hard place here today... Well, he knows that you're there between the rock and the hard spot, which might prompt you to say this, well, pastor, if the Lord knows I'm between the rock and the hard spot for this last six months or this last week or this last decade, then why is the Lord not delivering me? Why doesn't he take all my problems away? Why does he leave me between the rock and the hard place? We must remember There is no education like adversity. There is nothing that's ever going to teach us better than we're between the rock and the hard place. It's been said, quote, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And that's a fact. You'll never know it. Unfortunately, trials, hardships, and all the difficulties in this life There are many times the only way that you and me will truly learn any of the life-changing truths that God desires to impart to you and to me. It's when God allows us to walk through the fires of life. It's when we're put into insurmountable situations. It's when we're backed in the corner when there's no other way out. It's in those times of total and complete despair that God will open the windows of heaven to us that we'll see in another dimension so that we can experience his glorious deliverance that we would never have experienced any other way. Yes, it's through pain that God many times will speak to our hearts. Know this, God has no desire to put a band-aid 
on our problems. He would much rather get to the real issue of the problem. And that is our attitude and our heart towards him. Understand from the experiences of my own life, along with a multitude of examples that are given to us here in the scripture, the Bible, the word of God, God will hold back his hand of blessing on us until we learn the lessons that are being taught to us through the hardships and the trials that we're facing. And until we listen to him, until we put our trust in him, It's like nothing is going to happen. Now that's much different than what you're going to hear from many positive profession teachers that are out there today calling themselves pastors. Those who would preach the gospel of health and wealth that spend more time on teaching how God wants to bless us through your great offering that you're going to give to them, by the way, instead of how we should be living godly lives and transforming who we are, walking out of darkness into his light by living in obedience to the commandments that are written in the word of God. Yes, God does desire to bless us. He does, but he wants us first to conform into his image. He wants the Holy Spirit to be working inside of us. He wants us to be holy even as he is holy. Listen, God's not gonna just bless your life because you're giving big in the offering, because you're showing up. God's gonna bless your life as you have ears to hear the truth of the word of God. God's gonna bless your life as you desire to become more like him. That's when God's gonna bless your life. Not anything based on what you normally hear through positive confession preachers. It's when we come to him with an attitude of gratitude, when we come to him desiring to be all that he has called us to be, that's when God can change our habits. That's when God can teach us his lessons. That's when God can direct us in his way, that we should go. I like what he said in Proverbs chapter three, verse five. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean onto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and then he will make your path straight. It's as we submit to him, as we humble ourselves before him, that's when he can take our crooked lives, our lives of a total disaster and mess, and he can straighten our lives and turn something good out of something that's not good. I wonder if we really trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. Do you really trust in him? Do you really want to stop leaning on your own understanding? Do we really want to stop depending on our own strength? See, the disciples were fighting this storm in their own strength, and it was getting them nowhere, nowhere. According to John, they left at evening time around nine o'clock. Now, according to Mark, it's the fourth watch of the day. That's somewhere between three and 6 a.m. in the morning. Are you seeing what's happening here? That means the disciples have been battling this storm in their own strength for at least a minimum of seven hours. And now Jesus, the creator of the very wind and the sea that has become a disaster to them, that has become a trial, that has become a hardship to them, now he comes walking victoriously over that very trial that was plaguing the disciples and causing them so much grief. Know this, Jesus is above everything. 
Jesus is greater than anything else in our life or anything that could happen to us. What an encouragement that should be to you and to me. The apostle John put it like this. In 1 John 4, 4, he says, you are from God. You little children have overcome them. Who's them? It's anyone who comes against us. It's anything in this world order that comes against the lifestyle that God has called us to live. He says, you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Greater is he that is inside of you. Oh, and by the way, he is inside of us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know? Don't you know this, that the Spirit of God is in you? That you are the temple of God and he dwells with inside of you? He says, well, greater is he that is in you than anything that is happening in your life right now. Yes, Jesus, he allowed. He persisted in allowing them to fight their own battle. He allowed the disciples to fight this storm in their own strength for at least seven hours. What was he doing? He was trying to get them to the end of themselves. See, if you're a lifeguard and you're out there to save someone, you don't go out there when they first start drowning because they're all all their strength and they're all freaking out. They're like Superman out there. Ah, they're struggling. And if you try to save them right then, they're going to grab onto you with supernatural strength. They're going to be like, ah, and you're both going to sink. You're both going to die. So a good lifeguard, he looks out there. Yeah, they're not quite ready to drown yet. (laughs) Oh, look at them flailing out there like a wild chicken out there, you know. Yeah, I'm just going to let them go for a little bit longer, you know. Ah, ah! Yeah, they're not quite there yet. Ah! It's like, yeah, okay, I'll get in the water now. I'll get used to the water. I'll start swimming out there. And a good lifeguard will go up to the person when they're still flinging and they'll just hang back. Hang back. They got too much strength in them still. A good lifeguard will go up to them, they'll turn around and they'll kick them in the gut to try to knock the air out of them. It's like, I got to get this guy into the limp fish mode. Then I can grab him and then I can swim back with him back to shore. See, you got to wear out your own strength. Well, guess what? God does the same thing in our life. He's the ultimate lifeguard. And he's going to let you wear yourself out just like he wore these people out. He's like, go out there. Get, get it all done. Get it out of your system. You guys done yet? Seven hours out there rowing against the wind? All you trained fishermen out there? I wonder how long it will take us to get to the end of ourselves. I wonder how long we've been the master and commander of our lives. I wonder if we will ever let go completely. I wonder if there's some area of our life that we have not been willing to let go of up to this point. I wonder if it's pride that keeps us from completely humbling ourselves before God. I'm a man. I can do it. I am woman. Hear me roar. It's like, really? Are you serious? God's just like, okay, you need some more time. I'll check back on you later. Because you're out there trying to do it yourself. God wants us to humble ourselves. And he means just that. To humble ourselves is to relinquish. It's to let go of. It's to submit ourselves. And it's to confess all of our faults and our weaknesses to him. Well, to those who have ears to hear, 
the sooner we do this, the sooner we relinquish, the sooner we let go, the sooner God can take hold of us. The Bible says in James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud. What does that say to you? If you're prideful and arrogant, God's opposed to you. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord so that he can exalt you. Well, getting back to the disciples, as they look out into the darkness of night, they see what appears to be a ghost. And like we pointed out at the beginning of our study, the disciples had phasmophobia. They are afraid of ghosts. And now Jesus, he must have turned on the neon lights because it's pitch black outside. And all of a sudden, here's this bing, you know, and he's just shining like a light here because he was in the midst of the storm and they seen him like, oh my goodness. Understand, Jesus will always shine in the midst of our storms. Always. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 